0: Let's uh, direct our attention to the Word of God, to the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 10, and this is the first half of that chapter. Hear now the Word of the Lord. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of its realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect for those who draw near. Otherwise, They would have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. It is impossible for the the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And their lawless deeds, no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The word of the Lord. Must be. You may be seated. When Paul sent me the title earlier this week, and said better blood we've been talking about Christ as a better high priest and so he mentions the blood well he and I had had a short conversation a couple of weeks ago about the nature of preaching the blood of Christ and you just don't hear that talked about too much in those terms I think we think that we've become too sophisticated maybe just a little too advanced in our thinking to be worried about the blood. Besides that, it smacks of, of Old Testament ritual and old world thinking and really something that we in our modern day think that we are far beyond any credence, any notion, any meaning, any weight, any worthiness to blood. It wasn't always so. In fact, I was just recalling when I saw the hymns selected, the, the hymns over the years, some of which are not in some of the modern denominational hymnals, but they were in the old Baptist hymnal I grew up on. And since I'm a missionary to the Presbyterians for the last 25 years, I come reminding you that most of these are in the Trinity hymnal as well, in our hymnal here. But just listen to some of the titles. Ask the question over and over and over with a number of answers. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? there is power in the blood the blood that stained the old rugged cross there is a fountain filled with blood when I see the blood I will pass over you today we sang nothing but the blood even the favorite rock of ages says let the water and the blood the old rugged cross speaks of the blood stains then that Good old song, Victory in Jesus, that we used to sing almost every Sunday night when I was growing up, talks about, He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. The great song, Oh, what a Savior, says it's the last refrain that emphasizes in every stanza, He gave His life's blood for even me. And then the precious song, Near the cross speaks of there is a precious fountain. Why so much song? Why so much poetry? Why so much emphasis upon the blood? And especially as we speak today is the blood of Christ. Well, there's a principle. Last week I noted about ten principles of the Old Testament sacrificial system that taught us things we needed to know in order to understand the death of Christ, the Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? Well, the whole Old Testament, Genesis, all the sacrifices that were made there by by Adam and Abraham and Noah and and Jacob and all the rest. The Book of Exodus with Moses and the people in the in coming out of uh, coming out of uh, Egypt's bondage and in the land in the. Wilderness, the table, the tabernacle, and everything we've talked about with regard. That's the scriptures. And then we move on to the Psalm, the Psalm 22, telling us about the crucifixion of Christ and the prophecies, Isaiah 51 and others, that tell us about how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We don't understand the meaning and the merit of the death of Christ very much unless we really understand the powerful principles of the scriptural Old Testament sacrifice. And the one we look at today that highlighted is found in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. And I will just, this portion of Leviticus is sometimes called by the Bible scholars the holiness code. It begins in chapter 17 and goes through the balance of the book and tremendous emphasis upon holiness, that is that which God has separated unto himself and sanctified, made holy and has a special purpose in God's economy and nothing was more Holy and sacred than the blood. And here's the reason Leviticus 17, verse 11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. And then there's a few words more, and then verse 14 For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. That's why we talk about the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And we've already talked a considerable amount as we've looked at the earlier chapters in Hebrews about the absolute importance of the incarnation. That is the absolute imperative that our mediator, our high priest, that the Son of God become Human, and in his incarnation, he has flesh and blood. In order for Christ's life to avail, for his life to be given to us, for his life to be poured out as as an atonement for our sins, in order for his life to have any meaning for our life, he had to have the blood in his veins. And the whole ordeal of crucifixion, which I won't describe this morning, I've described it a lot, but the whole ordeal of crucifixion was not just to execute someone. It was to humiliate someone and it was to cause them to suffer by the multiple shedding of blood. Lashes, stripes, crown of thorns, nails, and finally a spear. The whole thing was to to issue and draw forth. And to spill the precious blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. That whole ordeal was to show that he was pouring out his life for us. And that's really what our salvation cost. It cost the lifeblood or the life of the Son of God. That's why it is so precious. Andre song, oh, the precious blood of Jesus. We preach grace from this pulpit. We preach mercy. We say, come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. We tell everybody we see that if they will come to Christ, trust Christ, rely upon Him, believe in Him, his finished work on that cross of shedding his blood will be applied to them by, by God himself in a sacred and a spiritual, but a very real, the most of all real, real of all things, transaction. He will impute, account, reckon the shed blood of Christ as the payment for our sin. We preach grace. We preach mercy, but it's not cheap. I hear some grace preaching that's kind of cheap, like, oh, just don't worry about it. God will forgive you. God's such a God of love that He'd never even think about harming one hair on your head. No, He gave His Son, His only begotten Son, And all the love of God is always bound up in that son. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. The love of God is dispensed through a conduit, an exclusive, once for all, one of a kind, for all times, conveyance. And it comes through Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way but the way of the cross. It's called in the old gospel song, the blood-stained way. You can't get around it. You can't walk away from it. In fact, the very last verse of our text is, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. In other words, the sacrifice of Christ in keeping with the old covenant that was given to us in Jeremiah 31, there in verse 16, the covenant, God says, and then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The only place for the forgiveness of your sins, for the purging of your sins, for the remission of your sins, is the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we come to Christ because there's no place else to go. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why we talk about the blood. It's absolutely imperative. It's absolutely paramount in our lives as believers. This is the way we come. This is the fountain. The book of Zechariah, and one of the great promises is, "Behold, behold, I open in Jerusalem a fountain." Of course, that was fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now in this particular passage, there's just as, as all of these passages, these big chunks of Scripture we've been looking at in the book of Hebrews are just filled with, with rich doctrinal data that fills in so many of the, uh, of, of the places to connect the understanding. But there's two or three here that I'd like to point out really briefly. The first one is right there in, in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, since the law had been a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Basically, what that, that is telling us is that everything that went before, all the sacrifices of the Passover lamb, the bullocks, the calves, the goats, all of those animal sacrifices were just shadows just little glimpses just little flickering pointing signs to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ the blood of bulls and goats the scripture says here and in the previous chapter can never take away sin it wasn't intended to it was a shadow it was what's called in another place in Scripture, weak and beggarly elements. It's kind of pathetic in a way when you think about the the, the sacrifice, but it taught us the victim. It taught us the high price. It taught us sacrifice. But it, it wasn't designed. It pointed to Christ. Every sin that was ever purged in the conscience of every person throughout all of human history has been purged in the blood of Christ. Not in the blood of bulls and goats and all the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. They were shadows. But it says, instead of the true form of these realities, when Christ comes, we have the true, finished, accomplished. And and language is used in this Scripture. uh, Verse 12, for example. But when Christ had offered for all time, how long? All time. How was... How was Adam saved? How was Abraham saved? What took care of their sin? What took care of their guilt? What paid the cost and the price of their redemption? The blood of Christ. Oh, it would be millennia before Christ would actually die physically on earth. But in God's way of thinking, all of their sins were imputed to Christ. He bore the sins of all of those people in His body on the tree, Peter tells us. And all they had were just little shadows to look at. Now that we've seen the full manifestation of Christ coming and we have the record, the apostolic record, and the witness of the New Testament and the church telling us about the crucifixion of Christ, then we can catch up. We have a different perspective. Jesus walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? He said, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophet said. Didn't you read the prophets? Didn't the prophets talk all about how the Messiah was to die? He was to suffer. It was all through there. Everything pointed to it. But when Christ came, He was offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing beyond. In fact, that's what the very last... Passage there says, He says, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering of sin. There in the last verse, verse 18. Don't need any more offering for sin. It's over, it's accomplished, it's finished. Think about what the Lord does for us. He gives us this great benefit. Everything that went before has been completely fulfilled, superseded, and accomplished, and actually made efficacious. That's a big word, but it means effective. It is actually effected, accomplished, that which God intended for do. The crucifixion of Christ, the offering of a sacrifice for sin, was God's idea. Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's not our pagan way of thinking. It's God's ordination. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus hanging on the cross was something that pleased the Father. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He knew this was the only way that His absolute justice and holiness and righteousness would be satisfied so that we may cry out as the Apostle Paul does quoting the Psalms, that you may be just, O Lord, and the justifier of those who come to Christ by faith. We want God to be just. We don't want God to let it slide. We want God to take care of it. And He has in Christ. This is is gospel truth we're hearing. This is good news that opens our minds and opens our eyes. And so we have received that sacrifice. In verse uh, 9, for example, it says, He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. In other words, the old covenant order, the Mosaic order, the Levitical order, the old sacrificial system, which the Bible, look how thick the Bible is. And we don't get to the New Testament until we get about right here. Look at that. That's Old Testament. That's New Testament. (laughs) You see the difference? Why is it just so little New Testament? We're New Testament Christians, we say. And all we'll read is the New Testament. You don't read this part of the Bible. You don't understand this little part of the Bible. Because this little part of the Bible just gives you the gospel truth of how it's all been summed up. Christ died according to to the Scriptures. You want to know something about His death and what it means? Go to the Scriptures. All those books, Leviticus. I've never in my life heard one book take more of a beating than the book of Leviticus. People say, I'm going to read the Bible through this year, but I got bogged down in Leviticus. You know, in Genesis, it was in Exodus. But then when I got to Leviticus, I just couldn't, couldn't get past that. Well, first of all, you're reading the Bible wrong if you read the Bible book by book by book by book. This is a library. There's 66 separate documents, each standing alone and in their own strong way. And so you need a little guidance as to how to go about reading them. And they're not even bound in this same order in other versions of the Scripture. The Hebrew Scriptures are not bound like this. Neither are other versions. You need to know that it's 66 separate books, and you need to pull that book of Leviticus out and spend some time with it. And that book of Leviticus will teach you something about sin. The awfulness of sin. It will describe the abominations sexual and moral abominations to God. The book of Leviticus explains it. We'll talk about what God has to do in order to clean up the filth of humanity. God's high and holy, and He walks a high and holy way, and nobody, nobody will enter into the presence of God without a perfection. It's mentioned several times in this chapter and in this whole book. You won't be there unless you're Perfect. And the only way you'll ever get cleaned up and be sanctified and and the Scriptures talk about being, being sprinkled and cleansed and purified is by God Himself using the detergent, the purgatory blood of Christ that purges our sins. If that blood has not been applied to you, then you won't stand in God's presence. The prophet Habakkuk says, O Lord, Thou art of two pure eyes to behold iniquity. That's why people that do not come to Christ are cast into outer darkness and away from the face of God. God can't look at them and He doesn't look at them. And when God doesn't look at him in the light of His countenance, they're in darkness. That's a description of God turning His back because He won't look at a filthy sinner. He won't do it. When Christ was on the cross bearing our sins, He was a filthy sinner. Our sins were in His body. And the Lord turned His back. And it was darkness on the face of the earth. And Jesus felt it. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's how serious this is. When the blood of Christ was oozing and then pouring, the Father wasn't looking. Because it was the sinfulness. He had to wait till the atonement was finished. All I can do is say to you what an old-time preacher said once. That old-time preacher was John the Baptist. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.